Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, beginning in the third chapter at the first verse. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can one be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, That's very interesting. God has something else for us to listen to this morning. And that was quite interesting. But getting back to Jesus and Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that God gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of our Lenten journey, you call us to move from where we are towards that which is more life-giving. As we come to you this day, we hear your word, and we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds that we may hear it in a way that is more life-giving. Speak to us. Truly speak to us. 
that we may know your will for our lives this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Bisogno di una borsa. This was one of my first trips to the shops in Italy. Bisogno di una borsa, I said. And they kept showing me purses. And I was looking for a purse, but they kept pushing purses on me, purses and satchels and bags and little wallets and pocketbooks. And I just wanted to look. I didn't really want to buy. I was just looking. And I chalked it up to, well, there's the American, and the Italians just really want to sell the American a purse. Until I discovered that what I was saying in Italian was, I really need a purse. I have to have a purse. I was pleading with these shopkeepers to sell me a purse. And yet I rejected every single one that they gave me. My friends, it is a little bit like this when we speak the language of our faith. At the end of my semester in Italy, I, had a com I overheard a conversation between a mother and her small child, and that is when I realized that I could speak Italian at the level of a five-year-old. When we speak our language of faith, we often speak it with the vocabulary understanding that is so limited that we miss the rich meaning of our faith. And it can lead to great misunderstanding and harm. Given the common understanding of sin and salvation, we have been taught over the years that the Bible condemns Hindus and Muslims and the New Testament condemns Jews and anyone else that does not believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who died to save us from our sins. And therefore, they are going not to heaven, but to the place of eternal damnation. So, we need a vocabulary lesson. Yes, today's word is salvation. And we have to think about salvation as more than going to heaven. The story we have been told basically goes like this. We are sinners. We have to be forgiven. The only way that that could ever happen was for someone to pay the price for our crimes. Jesus paid that price. And if we believe in him and we are born again, then we will go to heaven. For after all, isn't this just what Jesus said to Nicodemus? And the answer is no. Jesus and Nicodemus think they are speaking the same language when in fact they do not understand the language that each other is speaking. It is as if Jesus is speaking Italian and Nicodemus is speaking Spanish. And if you know Italian, you may think that you know a little Spanish, as I have thought from time to time, 
realizing that, yes, indeed, I know a very little Spanish. Like, yes and no. Though there are Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, we have a clue in the Gospel of John that things that happen by night are not as they should be. Nicodemus is a leader, he is a learned man, and he is seeking understanding, but he only will do that at night in the dark. And Nicodemus is still in the dark about Jesus. He's getting there. Rabbi, we know that you are from God because we see the miracles that you do. Jesus says, it's not about what you can see, but about what God has revealed to you. For no one can see the work of God unless they have been anothen. Anothen. The Greek word that simultaneously means born from above, born anew, and born a second time. Intentionally ambiguous. Well, Nicodemus can only hear the most literal, basic meaning, being born again. And how can that happen? Well, of course, that can't happen. And Jesus tries to explain that being born anothen is being born by the Spirit of God, God's Spirit of love that is at work in us, the pneuma, the wind, the Spirit. Again, a double meaning that can lead to misunderstanding. Jesus is speaking of new birth as in a new identity born of the love of God to be centered in the love of God. For God so loved cosmos, the cosmos, the world, the system in Greek, the people, creation, that God came to live with us in Jesus so that whoever holds Jesus dear and the way of God that Jesus taught and lived will know the most meaningful and fulfilling life and be eternally connected to the source of all being. For God did not come to destroy or to condemn creation, not to bring God's condemnation and God's wrath, but rather to love and bring light and save the world from everything that diminishes God's good creation. That's salvation, Nicodemus. Salvation is the language of love. And that sounds very different from the way in which we have heard John 3.16. God loves you, but God will send you to hell and eternal damnation unless you believe in Jesus. But that's not the language of love, and it's not the language of Jesus. It's not the language of a life centered in the love of God, and it's not the language of Christianity. In the Christian faith, yes, salvation is central. Salvation is the goal of our faith. But just what is 
salvation. What are we going for? Is it only that after we die, we go to heaven? Or that we don't go to hell? Surely there is more to our faith. But we commonly limit that meaning of salvation as not being condemned to hell and getting to go to heaven when we die. But just as last week we talked about sin as being more than the little crimes or big crimes that we as individuals commit, so salvation is about far more than our individual lives and what happens to us in the world to come. Just as sin has to do with all the corporate systems that diminish life, so salvation has to do with saving us from that systemic injustice and peace and violence, both corporately and individually. And the paradigm, the primal narrative that we get salvation is not the sin from the Garden of Eden. That story is a later story. The primal, the very first scripture that we have of fragments in our story of faith comes from the song that Miriam sang when the Hebrew slaves had escaped death and slavery from Pharaoh. Salvation, first and foremost, in our scripture is liberation from slavery. Economic liberation from injustice, religious liberation, for Pharaoh would not allow the children of Yahweh to worship Yahweh. It was to be saved. Those children, those baby boys who were being killed by Pharaoh, for them to be saved as Moses was saved in the river and led to the salvation of the people, which was escape from freedom, escape from slavery for freedom. Salvation was the way through the Red Sea, a total transformation of life. corporately and individually. Salvation is that which rescues us as nations, as cultures, from that which keeps us enslaved to injustice or poverty or the pharaohs that rule our own personal lives like perfectionism or if we're in an abusive situation or if we are freed from that job that saps the life out of us or we are freed from an addiction, that is all salvation. The second grand narrative about salvation in scripture has to do with shalom, with peace. That God is at work making creation and people and our relationships whole. And this is salvation from a culture of violence and a culture of injustice. When Jesus was born, the angels 
sang of Jesus as the Savior. who would bring peace on earth and goodwill to all. That was not just a personal peace, but a very real political peace in a time when the land was occupied by Rome. Jesus was hope for salvation on many, many levels. Salvation is when creation is healed and there is wholeness and harmony. It is the future that God intends now and for which we work now and which God invites us to be part of now as well as that promised future at the end of time when all will be made whole. On our gun violence Sabbath, we lift up the powers and the principalities of our culture of gun violence. And salvation is a criminal background check that prevents a gun from coming into the wrong hands. And salvation is a gun lock that saves a child from an accidental death. And salvation is the restriction of the sale of assault-style weapons. Salvation is the transformation of a culture of violence to a culture of peace and justice. Another definition, broad definition of salvation comes from the experience of exile. We spoke about how Israel and Judah had not cared for the poor, and they had adopted a culture of violence and exploitation, and how they were seen as, that was seen as God's punishment for the exile, so that there was some sin involved in a society collapsing, and in the exile of the people of God to Babylon. Salvation came as the way home. That highway in the wilderness make way for the salvation of our God who lets us come home, of the prodigal who was able to come home, both physically come back to his father's house and spiritually come home to himself and his identity. We see the multi-dimensional, corporate, individual, tangible, spiritual dimensions of salvation. And then there is a salvation that has absolutely nothing to do with sin. And this is salvation as rescue from danger or illness. God lifts me high upon the rock so I will not be killed in battle, says the psalmist. God lifted me up when I was about to die, says the psalmist. And we think about nations being saved from famine. Or I think about the young man, boy, 15 years old, Oscar, 
who was buried under the rubble in the gas explosion of those Harlem apartment buildings. How the rescue workers just happened to see his face in his hand sticking out of some of the rubble and how they saved him before the whole thing burst into flames. He was saved. And that is a biblical understanding of salvation. We are saved from danger. We are saved from the death that is the death that we live while we are still alive. We are brought from blindness to sight, from misunderstanding to insight. It is a transformation of our world and a transformation of us as individuals. A transformation that leads to wholeness and peace and freedom and a greater experience of life. That it begins in this time and in this place and is eternal. This, my friends, is salvation. That story of salvation could go on and on and on. Salvation, salve from healing. Doctors saved my mother's life when she had a heart attack. Her heart stopped, and they brought her back to life, and she was saved. So many stories of salvation. Our Bible is itself a story of salvation that does not begin in the Garden of Eden with that story that we are sinners. That's part of it. But the biblical story of salvation is the narrative that started when the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were enslaved to Pharaoh. And that is celebrated every year and is remembered every year in the Passover celebration that God came and rescued the children of Israel and brought them out to be God's people. So what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you're starting to get it. But it's more than about seeing miracles. It's more than about any proof that you can get on your own. It's about the Spirit of God. It's about the love of God and the grace of God and the spirit of life, that breath, that holy wind that is just there. Wherever it goes, it brings life. God indiscriminately, Nicodemus, spreads God's spirit just like the wind, loving people. And so not only are we born as people, but we are born as children of a loving God. And that transformation happens over time. Just as we are physically born and we grow into human beings, so we have to be spiritually born and grow into being whole people. When we're just born physically, Our needs are focused on ourselves. We have to survive ourselves. But when we are born spiritually, we are born in a community of love and with the love of God and with an acknowledgement that we are part of community and the world. And that being born again, born anew, 
born of the Spirit is that yearning for a more full experience of life and love and a better world. That is salvation, Nicodemus. That is what it means to be born again. That, in a word, is what it is to be saved. Amen.